I used it for the first time two days ago, and I've used it about six times already. It's like, Candy, I think it's, you know, it's an eighth of an inch of snow. I think I need to go out there again. It's so fun to use my snowblower. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. I'm Chris Bitters, if you forgot who I am, um, or if you've never met me. It's good to be here uh, at the St. Joe campus. Uh, I am loving being the campus pastor in Stevensville. Candy and I are, are really enjoying our time there. We enjoy the community that we have. We enjoy that people want to come early and stay late. I think it's the good coffee, but maybe it's the good preaching. I don't know. I like to think that you know there are other things besides the coffee that keep people sticking around. But it's a beautiful group of people. Got to give a shout out to my Stevensville folks that are actually listening in on this. Um, but it's really great to be back here with you. Uh, the only downside of being the campus pastor in Stevensville is um, missing out on staying connected, you know, with all of you. And so I'm glad to be here tonight, and I hope you'll stick around a little bit afterwards, and you know, let's catch up. And uh, so it's good. It's good to be with you. This this series is really awesome. New Year's Revolution. And as I was thinking about about it this week, I, I was in Matthew chapter four. We're going to be in Matthew 4, 5, and 6 today. If you brought your Bible, you can just kind of open that up and put your finger in it. But this, this verse just jumped off the page to me. Uh, this one right here, uh, Matthew four seventeen. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Change your hearts and lives, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Change your hearts and lives. What a great verse for us to focus on as we begin this this new year. Change your hearts and lives. Make a new resolution. Not not just a new year resolution, but a new life resolution. Change. We're all called to make changes and starting now, starting today. Did you come here today with an expectation to be changed? Did you come here today expecting that God would do something in you to make you walk out of here different than when you came in. Sometimes we can get into a habit of just coming and going, but did you really come today expecting to be changed by being in God's presence? Change your hearts and lives. Why? Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Because this new kingdom is being ushered in, Jesus brings this new kingdom to us. Jesus is saying it's not time for merely making New Year's resolutions, but for changed hearts and lives that create a revolution. Jesus is hinting that something is coming when he says these words. There is a revolution coming. There is a change coming. And who wants to be part of that. I know I do. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, thank you for bringing this revolution. God, we just want you to know that today as we gather, we come to have our hearts and our lives changed. God, would you do a work in us 
do a work deep within us. God, we don't want to walk out of here the same. We want to be changed. Would you do a work in us so that we can be part of this amazing revolution that you have started? Through Jesus, we pray that. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're going to be in Matthew 4, 5, and 6. You can, you know, you can follow along uh, or you can read through your own Bible with us. Uh, so Jesus made this bold statement, change your hearts and lives because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then the very next verse, he goes on. And what does he do? He begins to reach out to recruit leaders for his revolution. So that's where we pick it up now. As Jesus was walking by Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were throwing a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. So Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. As Jesus continued walking by Lake Galilee, he saw two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus told them to come with him. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Now, this is the short version of what really happened there. The writer's just kind of giving us the general idea of what happened. We're certainly missing some detail about from what really happened. I imagine these fishermen were hearing a lot about Jesus before he actually gave them this invitation. They maybe overheard him preaching, certainly. They were probably sitting around, cleaning their nets, listening to him. They heard all the talk around town. They probably sat around the dinner table talking about this Jesus guy and everything he's saying. and He's teaching and he's doing things that are blowing people's minds. This, it's a new teaching, it says. And so they're hearing all this. So when Jesus gets around to saying, come, follow me, join my revolution, their response is immediate and passionate and sacrificial. They left everything to follow Jesus. So what about you and me? How do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to his invitation to follow, to become a key player in this revolution that has begun, this, this new kingdom that he ushers in? Are we just one of the masses who come to get something from him, to get a healing, to get some free food, to just see what's going on? Do we hear about First Church? Hey, there's some cool stuff going on there. A lot of people go. They seem to like it. Maybe I'll go check it out. Are we just kind of coming in and just kind of filling a seat and just sort of taking in? But, or are we really sensing this call from Jesus to like be on his team, to be in his inner circle, to call, be called in to be part of this revolution? We're not called to be bystanders or, or observers. We're called to be key players. I don't want to just be along for the ride. I don't want to coast along in, in my faith. I, I want to be like one of these ones that Jesus called. Leave everything behind to follow him and be part of creating this amazing revolution. Now, in the next chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus lays out for all the people a picture of what this new kingdom is going to look like. And it's going to demand great things from the followers. 
People are amazed at his teaching and his ideas about what God's kingdom is. These ideas are going to, they're going to start a revolution. And the teaching is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with the Beatitudes. And here are a few of the Beatitudes that, that stood out to me as I read through them. They are blessed who are humble, for the whole earth will be theirs. They are blessed who, who hunger and thirst after justice, for they will be satisfied. They are blessed who show mercy to others, for God will show mercy to them. They are blessed who work for peace, for they will be called God's children. Now, these, these ideas are revolutionary. Uh, it, it wasn't cool to be humble. It was cool to be proud. Pride was a big deal, but Jesus calls his followers to be humble. Jesus doesn't just reach out to the crowd and encourage them to, be, to, be, to, to hate their enemies, doesn't get them on their side by stirring up a bunch of emotion to try to win them over by, by drawing on their desire for revenge against the Romans. This is not a revolution calling the people to fight a war against their enemies. The plan that Jesus lays out here is, is crazy. It's, it gives us a glimpse into God's heart. It's, it's a plan that allows God's desire for his people to be seen, his people to get along, his people to care for each other, to repair damaged relationships, to focus on peace, on mercy, on justice, to encourage humble hearts that bring people together. So then Jesus continues with the Sermon on the Mount, this, this rally to a revolution, uh, with these words. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid, at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Wow. Those are powerful words. Now, God's new kingdom is a place where the absence of murder is not enough. His people must also abstain from mean words and hurtful actions. This kingdom is a place where it's not okay to allow your anger to take over, for emotional bitterness to just spill out, even if you have an excuse. But I have the right to be angry. <laughs> Maybe so, but we are not given the permission to be careless or uncaring with our words. Jesus says it's not okay to hurt people with our words. Jesus places great importance on this and puts it in the same category as murder. That's incredible. That is a crazy teaching. That is a revolutionary idea. And then he continues, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately, go to this friend, and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. 
Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. Now, some of you may be looking at this and thinking, this is awesome. If I hold on to this grudge, I can also hold on to my money. I don't have to give an offering. <laughs> I'll just be mad at someone and say, sorry, God said I can't give until I work things out. But <laughs> notice that <laughs> he does say, leave immediately and go <laughs> and, and get things right. Get things right with that person. When you look closely and carefully at this Sermon on the Mount, you realize that Jesus is passionate about his people getting along. Jesus wants this new kingdom to come, and it must be received by a people who live in peace with one another. Not just with God, but with one another. God's people are called to relate to one another with humble hearts. Again, to be concerned about justice and mercy and peace. Jesus says it's not enough to simply come to a place of worship, give an offering, and then go on your way as if this payment, this sacrifice, this tithe, gives you a free pass on this commandment to forgive or to love. No, Jesus says God is not even interested in your offering if you are unwilling to make things right with brother or sister. Again, this is revolutionary teaching. This is not what the Pharisees were teaching. <laughs> Basically, it looks to me like Jesus is saying, if you're not, or if, if you are going to hold a grudge against someone, don't come in here singing a song and saying a prayer and acting like everything is fine when it's not. Get things right with that person first. Restore that broken relationship. Experience reconciliation. Now, don't wait. Don't even do one more religious act. Don't go through the motions of church when you are not living a life of love in your relationships with others. Get things right. One of the hardest places for this to happen is at home. Spouses, husband to wife, parents with children, brothers with sisters, also, it can be tough at work or with friends. Candy and I, you know, you, we have our times, we have our moments. Just last week, we had all our kids in town. It was wonderful, wonderful family time. Um, but I, something came up, and I was on my phone, and it was important. Candy was trying to talk to me about something that was also important. And I just, I did not understand where she was coming from, and I was so into my phone that I said something to her. I don't even remember what I said, but it was like, it was just flippant and it was, I don't know, it was, it was just unkind. And I didn't even know I did it. I was just like, yeah, yeah, you know, because my focus was here. And it really hurt her. And the thing is, it's happened before. And so it was like one thing on top of another. And, late, and I didn't even know it happened. And then later we're in the kitchen and I can see you know, you know, when you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And there's something wrong, and I'm like, what's, what's going on? And, and she let me know. And there was this wall between us. And then, you know, the kids are all around, so we're out in the living room. She's on one couch, and I'm on the other. And there's this wall, and the kids don't even know, but I know, and it's there. And, 
A couple of kids, I mean, left. Suddenly it was just her and I in the, in, in the living room. And I'm like, we have this moment, you know. They're going to be back any moment. And so I just, I was like, something I've really tried to do is just be the first. Be the first to just go after getting things right. And I just went right up to her as quick as I could, knowing that maybe I only have 30 seconds. But I was just like, honey, I love you. And the last thing I want to do is say something that hurts you. And I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? And immediately, just immediately, that, that wall is gone. I just needed to make the effort just, just to be the first. You know, you know there's those times when neither one, whoever it is, whether it's a husband or a wife or a friend with another friend or brother and sister, no one wants to be the first. But as soon as someone does, that wall comes down. And I'm hearing from Jesus that this is critically important, that this is part of his, his kingdom policy. He's making it very clear to us. The heart of God is that we get along and we work things out. Now, in this next chapter, in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches the people how to pray. It's a prayer many of us know. Um, would you say it with me? Let's follow along and, re- and pre- pray it out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now this, I don't believe... The disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And this, he's teaching them how to pray. Now, I really don't think that Jesus taught this prayer so that we would memorize it and recite it over and over and over until it loses all its meaning. I mean, it's, it's, a, good, it's a great prayer, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray it, but in this, in this prayer is actually a teaching. And Jesus gives us the ingredients, the recipe for prayer. So you've got You've got worship, you've got praise, you've got, you know, you're holy, you've got surrender as part of prayer, your will be done. You've got, you've got asking for needs, you've got confession, and you've got forgiving others. Now, isn't it something that when Jesus taught us how to pray, he included in all the things he could have put as ingredients. He put confession and he put forgiving others, forgiving one another as part of that prayer. Then he follows up these verses. You know, he could have commented more on any of these, but then here's, here's how he continues in the next, very next verse. Yes, if Jesus, if you forgive others for their sins... Your Father in heaven will also forgive you your sins. But if you don't forgive others, your, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Really? Like, serious? <laughs> I mean, look at that. that could, that's kind of scary. Is Jesus serious? I mean, it seems like it. It's like... Seems pretty clear. Seems pretty, pretty black and white. In fact, in three of the four Gospels, Jesus talks about 
us being forgiven and judged the way we forgive and judge others. Does that seem fair? Is it right? Why would God demand that I forgive someone who's treated me horribly? You know, it's one thing to forgive someone for an emotional outburst or a stupid mistake, but what about when one student bullies another over and over, humiliating that person? What about when someone who you trusted betrays you in a very, very deep, hurtful way? What about that person who abused another person in horrible ways? Now, does God really expect us to forgive such people? Doesn't it seem like, honestly, doesn't it seem like revenge or bitterness is justified in some situations? Doesn't it feel like that in your gut? (sighs) What if someone is not asking forgiveness? Do you still forgive them? What if they continue to be hurtful to you? over and over? What if they keep hurting people again and again? Do we just keep forgiving them? So on one occasion, Jesus was asked by Peter, how many times should I forgive a person who sins against me? Is seven times enough? Jesus answered, you must forgive him even if he wrongs you 70 times seven, which basically is saying like forever. (laughs) Just keep on forgiving over and over. Sometimes you forgive someone, but then the betrayal or the anger or the hurt wells up all over again. And you find that you need to forgive them for the same thing over again. You thought you were past it, but then it wells up. It's like, I've got to forgive that person again. I've got to let it go. Does this mean I should let someone walk all over me? Take advantage of me? Seventy times seven times? Should I just turn the other cheek? Yeah, but you only have two cheeks. And then you punch him in the nose. That's what my dad would say. (laughs) It can be a struggle to know how to handle a bully or an abusive person or a mean-spirited person. We can't let an evil person continually walk all over us, and, and yet at the same time, we cannot be vengeful or spiteful in our response to that person. So what do you do if an evil person breaks into your home? What if you do if they threaten your family? You protect yourself. And you protect your loved ones. And at times, evil needs to be confronted with action, with a powerful action. But I do believe the most powerful act, this is really important, the most powerful act is an act of love. And the most powerful words are these, I forgive you. This is not a simple issue as as far as how we deal with evil people. Certainly, evil acts deserve consequences. But Jesus does make one thing clear. We must find a way in our hearts to forgive. And I think the heart of God is not just about us fulfilling our Christian duty. I think the heart of God is not calling us to just obey the law. You must forgive. I think God in his great love 
and in his wisdom knows that we need to forgive, that we need to let go of bitterness for our own good. It will eat us up and destroy our lives if we don't do it. I've never seen this truth more clearly than in a movie I watched a few months ago. And I want to show you the trailer because I want you to be interested in it because I want you to go and watch it. Go rent it. It's available to be rented now. It's called The Railway Man. And I'm just going to show you the, the trailer clip and you'll get a, you'll get a taste of, of what this movie's about. There's something about a, a true story that just adds meaning to its message. This, this story brought me to tears on quite a few occasions as I watched it. I, I hope you'll see it, and uh, I hope you'll take in the message because it's a, the message of this man's life is so powerful, and it's one that we all can relate to to some extent. His captors put him through unthinkable horrors, experiences and memories that destroyed his life, and finally he is given the opportunity for revenge a chance to bring justice. The struggle he goes through is not so much unlike ours. I don't think there's anyone here who has gone through as much as the railway man, but maybe, maybe that's wrong. I don't know your story, each of you. Maybe your struggle to forgive is just as great as his. But my prayer for you right now is that you will be set free from any bitterness And if there is a painful experience in your life or a person who has deeply wounded you, I pray that you can find a way to forgive. The ability to forgive is often not found within ourselves, but it's a gift that God gives us. If you don't feel you have the ability to forgive someone, I pray and hope that you will discover what Paul found. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Ask him to help you to follow through and forgive. If Jesus would have demanded simple acts of us, it wouldn't have been much of a kingdom that he brought and ushered in. Jesus commanded us to do crazy, ridiculous things like love our enemies and forgive those who have hurt us terribly. This is part of being a revolutionary. This is part of ushering in his kingdom. Change your hearts and lives. Change your hearts and lives. That was the verse that we started with today. Change your hearts and lives. Do you sense that God is urging you to change something? Maybe maybe you're sensing a need to change just in simple ways, just the way you relate with people. Just the way we, we connect with others and help bring people together and, and just experience an atmosphere of peace. Maybe God is challenging you to be the first to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Maybe Jesus is calling you to forgive someone who's deeply hurt you and wounded you. So I don't know what it is that God is calling you to do today, but I pray that we will be obedient to him. Know this, that um, that as Jesus hung on the cross, as he 
hung there in severe pain, emotionally exhausted, spiritually spent, physically just couldn't go on. He spoke these words, Father, forgive them. Will you just repeat those words with me? Father, forgive them. Picture Jesus. Father, forgive them. And maybe, maybe you need to picture someone's face, someone who's hurt you, and try to say that prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. We have, uh, we have the privilege today to share in the Lord's Supper. Jesus, this is a scripture from 1 Corinthians, Jesus on the night of his betrayal, he took bread and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact your words and actions, the death of Jesus. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? So examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. I invite you to come. Um, If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you believe that Jesus went to the cross for you so that you can be forgiven, then I invite you to come. And as you take bread and as you dip it in the cup and as you eat it, let's keep in mind the words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Lord, it's been a, it's been a very special time tonight. God, we, uh, we really do open our hearts to being changed by you. In fact, God, I already feel it happening. We are being changed. Would you come in and just, with your spirit, bring your spirit of forgiveness? Lord, some of us have some really hard things to do to move forward. Would you give us courage through the presence of your spirit in us? Give us courage to seek out that forgiveness. Lord, you've called us all very clearly to forgive. You've called us all very clearly to be the first to say, I'm sorry. To be the first to humble ourselves, to seek peace, to offer mercy. God, we want to be part of this revolution, this revolution that is so drastically different from the the culture that we live in. May we be people, God, who experience your forgiveness and who offer it to others. Lord, would you do that work in us? Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us. And we remember now what you've done for us and how you have set us free to truly experience love and forgiveness. Thank you. 
Jesus, we pray.